This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big proponent of having free and fair debate. I'm a big advocate of discussion of complicated, important topics. And you'll notice that when it comes to so much of COVID, we haven't been able to do that. We've been told to shut up and do what we're told. That has been the theme of the last year. People who have taken unprecedented power into their hands and people who claim the mantle of the science have been telling you to just shut up. Don't ask any questions. We're not having this discussion. You do it because we say so. We do it because otherwise everyone's going to die. And they were wrong many times and their policies didn't work. And the things that they said would happen did not. The things they said didn't happen did. And at every stage, it just was the same game. Play upon people's fears and use the power of the state to force them to comply. Well, now, as we see with where we are with this uh, Johnson and Johnson vaccine situation, we have a lot of undoing of this uh, brainwashing to do. And we'll get into all of that. And, and I mean, just about whether we're allowed to have certain topics discussed i'm not even taking a position on all this stuff i'm not even telling you one way or another i'm just saying we should have had much more debate about everything going on with covid and a big problem with all this has been social media censorship as you know the left has been dominating these social media sites for well all time but now they've decided to completely crack down on conservative speech and twitter and facebook act like the editorial pages of the New York Times. They decide what can and cannot be shared, be written, and they'll kick you off. They'll they'll punish you. Well, one way that you can protect yourself from this is with a virtual private network. Okay, a virtual private network creates protection for you from hackers. It also creates anonymity for you online when you are surfing the web, when you're doing all the things you're doing online because it masks your IP address. So think of it this way. A VPN will make sure that you are unable to be tracked and also that your data is encrypted and protected so people can't steal it. So you're masked in a sense, and you're also protected with your data. The best place to get this done is ExpressVPN. All you do is download an app. It's so simple and straightforward from ExpressVPN. You'll set it up and have this running as I do on your laptops, on your smartphone, and like I said, gives you encryption and prevents spying from all over the Internet on you, but particularly from the social media companies who want to sell your information. It's finally time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy. All you have to do right now is go to expressvpn.com slash buck. You'll get three extra months free on a one-year package. They'll give you three months free, and this is going to cost you around six bucks a month to protect all your devices. You need to do this expressvpn.com slash buck again that's expressvpn.com slash buck to protect your data today vaccines are a very contentious topic in america today i have dear friends who are young and at low risk and they're saying that they won't get the vaccine that they would rather falsify their vaccine status if they have to i know other people who feel like the vaccine is the answer to a, a prayer, right, that, that this is God giving us what we need to get past this. I, I know people on all sides of this. One of my fundamental uh, my fundamental conclusions about everything that we've seen over the last year is that it is deeply unhealthy and incredibly problematic for health decisions to be taken over by public bureau, public health bureaucrats and that there's no discussion or debate allowed about this. It's do what you're told. Shut up and do what you're told. And when you start to push back on this, there's this mob Fauciite consensus mentality of we've already thought all this through for you. You don't have autonomy. You don't have any basis for questioning this. You have to just do what we tell you to do. And it's not even just a function of uh, whether or not you take this risk uh, yourself. It's also whether you're willing, whether you'll do what you're supposed to do to protect all those around you. And so you're morally blackmailed into the Fauciite consensus, as I call it, which is just the these people make decisions. They're not accountable to anyone. 
They don't get fired. They're not. There's not. You know, there's no. How many public health experts in this pandemic have resigned because they suck at their jobs? How many? Right. Fauci somehow after on the one hand, he says we had the worst virus response of any country in the world, which isn't even true by the numbers, not by a long shot. But Fauci will say that. But he essentially stays on in the Biden administration. He's the immovable bureaucrat. Nothing can get rid of this guy, huh? He stay he stays forever. He keeps his job forever. And that's the mentality that's at the heart of so much of what we've seen here that it doesn't matter what really happens. The good smart people who make these decisions for you are infallible even when they're wrong. Now I know that's that's incoherent, it doesn't make sense, but that's what we've been forced to accept as a country. We've been forced. If you didn't agree to mask up, if you didn't agree to double mask now, if you didn't agree to social distance, it didn't agree to shut down your business, if you didn't agree to stop going to church, they made you. They made you do these things or else. And when they're wrong, there's there's no consequence for them because they think they're doing the right thing. Okay, this has resulted in a society that is now completely unmoored when it comes to risk management. And what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Let me tell you this. I have always been in the camp of people of people who, who strongly believe that you should be able to determine whether or not you get the vaccine. It is in your hands. It's your choice. And I've advocated for people who are at high risk to get the vaccine. But I've also said that I believe even for those people, it should be their choice. You know, do you want to get this to protect you? What they've done, though, is by by exaggerating. Oh, did you know they've exaggerated asymptomatic spread? If you look at the estimates and the numbers they were using 12 months ago and what we actually see now, they've dramatically exaggerated asymptomatic spread. But that was necessary. You see, they had to make it seem like a more urgent threat, because if really it's sick people that give this to other people and particularly people that are pre-symptomatic in a home setting, where the government has basically no real control over the situation. How are they going to get everyone to mask up and, and lock down and wash their hands and stay home? So they exaggerated asymptomatic spread. And I can show you, I mean, this is in the journal Nature. There are publications that have pulled the data, pulled the studies together. And they are very clear on this. They will show you that, yeah, it's they thought it was 40 percent asymptomatic spread it's probably more like 10 to 20 percent. Now, you could say, well, that's still a lot of people. OK, but uh, so now, now it's asymptomatic. People all had to wear masks because that was a there was a 10 percent of the spread coming from them, even in situations where, I mean, you know, you start to break down numbers. You say, is this a is this a necessary public health measure or is this a panic maneuver? Can't even have this discussion, though, in most places I would get kicked off. I love that I'm on the radio and I love that I podcast because I can say I can't write these things to you right now. I can't actually put this stuff out on Twitter or Facebook or even online. Although I try to sneak some in at BuckSexton.com. So you should always go to my website there. I've got a piece on what a bureaucratic bureaucratic monstrosity the CDC is up right now uh, that I wrote. But. We haven't had the exchange of ideas necessary to come to the truth on this stuff. We've been told what to do. And this brings me to and, and if you try to do what I do, which is come at these from different angles and have a real exchange rooted in the facts, rooted in reality and make the case that these are risk management decisions. Health policy is not the science. And people who say that are morons because it's OK. What level of risk is acceptable? What level of risk? That's why Fauci won't give you an answer now, by the way, about when we go back to normal. He could say when we're at this number, but then they'd have to stick to that. And people would say, well, why is it that number? I mean, we could probably handle it. You're still accepting there'll be some spread. There'll be some death of covid, but we're going to go back to total normalcy. Right. So why did why does Fauci get to decide that? Ah, you're starting to see this is the problem. This is the the shaky uh, foundation of their argument. And then you have this recent Johnson and Johnson situation. And this is getting a lot of, you know, panic click headlines. Oh, my gosh, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. The by the numbers right now, 
the chance of in the U.S., the chance of getting a blood clot from a Johnson and Johnson vaccine is one in a million. One in a million. That's the actual chance. But you've had six cases of blood clots that they think are attributable to the vaccine. You've had six million vaccinations. And so now the CDC is saying, well, we should consider a pause. Notice they keep doing this. Pause your life. Pause the vaccine. You know, life goes on, folks. I mean, the notion that we just, oh, we're just going to hit the pause button. Well, there's a lot of stuff that comes with that. And people are, are freaking out about this. Young people that I know who are at very low risk from COVID and very low risk from the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Uh, there's, and I know, I know some of you are saying, Buck, how do we even know what the long-term effects are of this? Uh, the answer is you're right. We don't know. You know, that that's a very simple truth that I think we should all be comfortable. We don't really know. There has been no long term testing on these vaccines. That's just a fact. And I, and I know right now you say this kind of stuff and you might get you know banned from the Internet. You might be called anti-vax. I'm stating an obvious truth. How how can they run long term testing on vaccines that have been in existence for less than a year? Somebody, you know, riddle me that. But. Again, I'm getting the vaccine. I am pro that I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm just merely pointing out we can't even talk about it. And that results in a lack of trust among people who say, why aren't we able to have an open discussion about this? Why have the social media companies and the news media and American corporations all united to effectively become high priests of the mask religion? Masking did not save us from this. Masking was also tried extensively in the Spanish influenza pandemic of 1918. And in case you didn't know, didn't work out for that one either. But there were people who believed if only we mask more, if only we mask more, we'll be safe. And there were big fights about it. You know, there were anti-mask societies. And now you have, you know, beta males from Vox.com who are running around writing pieces about how they know the science. No, they really don't. They really don't. And uh, there's been such a shutdown of debate and discussion that now one in a million risk when the Fauciite consensus wants it to be is too high. Do what they say. But people see this and they say, well, hold on. If the chance of my two year old getting covid and giving covid to anyone else is you know, one in 50,000 or one in 100,000. And the state says that's not acceptable, which is what they have done in some states. If that's their approach, is one in a million risk from a vaccine something that we need to take on? Right. You, you see how they've completely and utterly undermined our notion of a reasonable assessment of risk in society for health and for public health purposes. Because when they want you to shut up, they say, well, it's not 100%. So we can't say you're safe. When they want you to lock down and mask up, it's, well, you know, if it saves just one life. They're playing these games with all these numbers all the time. They're making value judgments for you. They're making judgments based on ratios and numbers for you, not absolute principles. They're saying this is acceptable risk for you. But they pretend that there's actually an answer to this and they've got it. You see, is one in a million a risk for a vaccine for you? Is that is that uh, something that makes you gives you pause? Shouldn't be one in a million risk. If you look at other things out there, you'd never leave your house if you're worried about one in a million risk. But they have conditioned the American people. The lockdown mentality is that if there is any chance, even theoretical chance of an outcome and we want to use this to take away your freedom and liberty, that's enough. That's what they've done. So you see, they've reset the neurons in millions and millions of people's uh, brains here. You know, they, they've changed our thinking about this. They've abused it and manipulated it for their own purposes. And now we're seeing what the results are when there are some problems. It was inevitable that there were going to be some problems with these vaccines all vaccines have some level of risk but in order to control people's actions and control populations they play games with the actual ratio the actual numbers and pretend to have all the answers when 
they don't. And now they've got a situation of tremendous public distrust. And and I know a lot of you disagree with me. And, and I'm pro-vaccination on this on this point. Not for all vaccines, but for this vaccine. Yeah, I, I think this makes sense for people. That said, I understand that it should be a choice. And I understand that they've pretended to have more certainty than they do. And they've taken away your ability to make your own choices here under the premise that they are like the public health gods and cannot be questioned. There are different tools that we can use for different periods of when things are outbreaking out when there is an outbreak. Um, For example, we know that if vaccines go in arms today, we will not see an effect of those vaccines, depending on the vaccine, for somewhere between two to six weeks. So when you have an acute situation, um, extraordinary number of cases like we have in Michigan, the answer is not necessarily to give vaccine. In fact, we know that the vaccine will have a delayed response. The answer to that is to really close things down, to go back to our basics, to go back to where we were last spring, um, last summer, and to, to shut things down, to flatten the curve, to decrease contact with one another, to test to the extent that we have available, to, to contact trace. Sometimes you can't even do it at the capacity that you need. But really what we need to do in those situations is shut things down. I think if we tried to vaccinate our way out of what is happening in Michigan, we would be disappointed that it took so long for the vaccine to work to actually have the impact. I mean, I wonder, is is the CDC director, is it just like she's a robot? This director Walensky, does she not actually think she just has a, a bunch of data, a bunch of talking points that she repeats over and over? We're going to shut. We're going to do a two week straight up shutdown, no, not even a reduction in indoor dining. Whatever. We're going to actually shut down in Michigan for two weeks. Does anyone think that that's going to solve the problem? You're going to shut down for two weeks. And then what happens when you start to reopen again? We, we, we've gone through this before. We keep doing this. They don't understand. They don't seem to get it. They squeeze the balloon, the air goes to one part of it, and then they squeeze the other part, and then they go, wait, wait a second, the air is still moving around inside the balloon. That This was all about hospital capacity from the, by their own words at the beginning, and now it's like a, they act like it's like a cure. We're just going to stop seeing, we're going to stop living and stop seeing each other. That'll stop the disease. I mean, it will work a little bit for the time you do it, but then you reopen. And I know that they say, oh, well, Buck, but they're going to have vaccines. And that's the thing. We're going to get these vaccines two to six weeks. You think they're going to have a full on lockdown for two to six weeks? Are they going to have a everyone gets hectored and nagged lockdown? But there's still people going to stores, seeing each other in private homes. You know, it's never we've never done an actual lockdown, even in our first two weeks of this. And she says the thing about test and trace. I mean, I just have to ask, are these people morons? Michigan has seen a 200 percent rise in coronavirus cases since last month. Okay, cases are up 2x. I'm sorry. Yeah, 2x from 2000 a day to 6000 a day. Do you think the state of Michigan has the resources to test and trace 6000 cases a day? How would that even look? Do you think that that would even stop it? Let's say they could even try to test and trace everywhere. You're still finding out about people who have already been exposed to the virus. But this is just, they're, they're like, you know, chickens with their heads cut off in the public health establishment. They're just running around, you know, making noise. It doesn't make any sense. What are they saying? Test and trace? We're back to that. You heard her. That's the CDC chief. And she goes, well, you know, maybe we, you know, that might not work. Yeah, it'll work. Nothing. Zero. Not at all. But why is she saying it? Because it's the best she's got. That's the best she's got, because you know what they really don't want people to think about? Why is Michigan having so many cases? They can talk about variants as much as they want, but we have numbers on that, too. The UK variant, B117, uh, they say accounts for a lot of new cases in that state, maybe as high as 70% of cases in Michigan. Um, And according to the CDC, I'm sorry, no. They don't know how many cases in Michigan. Michigan has 2,262 confirmed cases. So forget about the 70 percent number. 2,262 confirmed cases. But Florida has 3,510. So why why is Michigan completely out of control when when Florida's actually had more confirmed cases of this variant 
and Florida's open. Michigan is still doing all the things. Wash your hands, social distance, double mask. I double mask because I'm a Fauciite and I believe this, this little tyrant smurf goes on TV. You know, just a little longer, just a little longer. Hold a little more, maybe a little more time. You don't know. You know, you could get a plateau and it could be a diminution of the ascendancy of the next phase of the parabolic upsurge of the downsurge. I mean, this guy is is so pathetic at this point. Just listen to him. I call him Dr. Thesaurus because every time he goes on TV, he's using all these words that he doesn't have to use to sound more authoritative and smart than he is because the guy's grasping now. What is he even saying? And we got CDC Walensky telling us, yeah, shut down Michigan for two weeks. You think, you think that's going to fly? You think everyone's going to say, yeah, let's just shut it down for two weeks. Oh, wait, no. Maybe it'll be four weeks. Maybe it'll be six weeks. The public health establishment uh, in, in the United States bureaucracy, federal and state level, has been an enormous failure during this pandemic. Understand that. An enormous failure. And they still want to control you and they want to act like they know what they're doing. Man, it is a tense time on social media. I got to tell you, I mean, when you've got these topics like vaccination and the BLM protests and riots and all this stuff, it really does feel like you never know when someone's going to decide that they are going to target you because you say the wrong thing or you get deplatformed. And, you know, I know for a lot of us, we just want to be able to talk to other conservatives too, talk to people that share our ideas and values without the trolls that will come out, right? Well, that's why I want you to check out Caucus Room. Caucusroom.com is a social media network exclusively for conservatives. It's an online community for conservatives to gather and engage locally. Only people who are verified conservatives can become Caucus Room members. They weed out the trolls, okay? They don't allow left-wing lunatics to infiltrate. So Caucus Room will also never share your information with anyone ever, and the sign-up process ensures you're communicating with real conservatives in your neighborhood. Caucus Room is made by conservatives for conservatives to get organized and make a difference. You can share news, jokes, and just find ways to get involved with causes near you without the fear of Silicon Valley overlords stomping on you. We need to organize as conservatives these days at the grassroots level, at the local level, all the way on up, right? Caucusroom.com can be a part of that, and it's free. Join the Buck Sexton listeners group on caucusroom.com. That's C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M, C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M.com, caucusroom.com. Join the Buck Sexton listeners group to interact with others just like you. We can stop pretending that this is just the natural order of the universe and things happen this way. I'm going to demand that the legislature finally hold some hearings on some of these reforms, as I said, that have passed in other states and have proven to make a difference. Things that are supported by both law enforcement and community members. Things that we know that would reduce the chance of a routine traffic stop escalating into a loss of life. The governor of Minnesota there doing what we know so many politicians are going to do, which is to claim to do something in the aftermath of the shooting of Dante Wright, uh, killing of Dante Wright in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota over the weekend. And as we know, there's already lots of riots, more riots expected. Riots uh, and protests are going to spread to other cities across the country. Are we really supposed to accept this as some kind of new normal? We're supposed to believe that this is the way things should happen. You know, there there are there are other police involved incidents uh, that that have lethal force that are it's completely unjustified. But if the victim of it is not black or Hispanic, but particularly not not black, there is an expectation that there will not be riots, that there will not be any civil disorder and that it will just go through the process and we'll see what happens and hopefully we get justice. And but anytime there's a there's this narrative, as we see, of law enforcement and a, a lethal force incident with a young black male. There is the heightened prospect immediately of riots and looting. Uh, this is disgraceful. This is disgraceful. And the Democrats are playing a double game here because they'll say that they don't want this. But as we know, 
in so many ways, they actually encourage these feelings because they go along with the false narrative. They go along with the lie that BLM is built upon, which is that cops are routinely, systematically and without consequence, murdering unarmed black men. The Dante Wright shooting, based on the video we've seen, was a was what would be called in police parlance a bad shoot. It may, in fact, be a involuntary manslaughter case. It could actually be criminally charged. It looks very bad. It looks like a tragic accident. Accidents do happen. Anybody who's around firearms knows, you know, they used to tell us stories when I was in the CIA about people that were really squared away and, you know, even former military and people that were, you know, elite special operations. And sometimes somebody has an AD, you know, an accidental discharge. It happens. I'm not in any way justifying or minimizing. I'm just saying that is the that is the the obvious fact of what we see in that video. I mean, clearly, this veteran of the force of over 20 years, somebody been a police officer for a long time, this woman who who pulled what she thought was her taser made a terrible mistake. This has happened before as well. This is something where in the heat of the moment, muscle memory comes into play and you can make a terrible mistake. And there's a reason why anybody who spent any time training around farms will will say that, you know, trigger discipline is so important. Knowing your target, knowing what you're doing, making the affirmative decision to shoot. ADs are. It's 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 life and death. And that's why firearm safety is so important and proper training. And these people who are suggesting, as Governor Waltz was here in Minnesota, that if only we had a different policy, this wouldn't have happened. No. That, I mean, unless you want disarmed cops and good luck getting cops to police high crime neighborhoods without any you know, lethal force option available to them, unless you're going to disarm your cops entirely, which would mean just allowing criminals to run rampant and, and really destroying the country, I think uh, you're going to have the possibility of something like this happening. We're not going to be able to turn every every patrol officer. We're not going to be able to turn every, you know, every state trooper into a Delta Force operator who, you know, with his eyes closed, can hit a target at 200 yards in his weak hand, you know, after running four miles. And, you know, that's not going to happen. OK, so we could stop with the oil. Oh, if only there was a different training. No, it was this was a terrible accident that happens to come at an awful time, given the situation of Minnesota and the Chauvin trial and everything happening around it. So we know this is a match into a tinderbox, and already there's more rioting and looting that has happened. Uh, the president, Joe Biden, and look, the Democrats, their fingerprints are all over the BLM riots of last summer. They were, they were supportive of this. They justify this. They do not. They always do the, the half-hearted kind of, uh, you know, eh, condemnation, the, the wishy-washy condemnation of, of violence. But, I mean, I understand why everyone's so upset and we need to protest. We need to get out there and get angry about this because fundamentally the cops are racist and this is a racial justice issue. That, that's the way they do it all the time. I mean, here, here's Joe Biden saying that he wants peace and calm. Play 13. There is absolutely no justification, none for looting, no justification for violence. Peaceful protest, understandable. And the fact is that, you know, uh, we do know that the anger, pain and trauma that exists in the black community in that environment is real. It's serious and it's consequential, but it doesn't will not justify violence and or looting. And so the question is, uh, how we, in an orderly way, make clear that they get down to a full-blown investigation to determine what the facts are and what is likely to have happened. It's just astonishing, quite honestly, that the president of the United States is even in a position where he's having to weigh in on this. And, and any president would, given the realities. But I'm just saying, think about this. I mean, this is a, an incident. There are, there are literally millions of law enforcement stops and arrests of Americans every millions. You might have one incident like this a year or or even every few years, meaning the specifics of going for a taser and actually going for your firearm instead. It has happened. There have been other situations of law enforcement with an AD with an accidental discharge and and it can be lethal. 
And so now we're what is the lesson that we're supposed to take from this? I mean, that's what I want to know. What, what are what are we supposed to believe here that after 20 some odd years on the police force, this this cop decided what? What did she do other than make a terrible mistake? You know, what, what did she do that was that was evil? Do we, do we think that she wanted to throw her because her life is gone now, too, in a sense. I mean, her life will never be the same. She may end up going to prison. She's definitely going to lose her job. And and, and quite honestly, she should. Right. And she might have to face a uh, manslaughter charge here. The same way that, you know, if you were a distracted driver and you swerved off the road and you you mowed some poor innocent bystander down, you know, you're going to probably serve some prison time for that. You can't do that. Right. You're responsible for that. And this is a situation that in terms of the moral culpability gets pretty close to it. Now, there's another piece of this, which then goes to uh, it'll be left out of so many of the discussions that. It would be it would be helpful to try to convince people in general across the country do not resist arrest because the moment there is resisting and there's clearly resisting of arrest in this video, the guy basically makes a run back to his car and this escalates the situation. And when you have force escalation happening and pulses are racing and, in, and in, you know, you've got people's adrenaline pumping when that's going on. Uh, there's the there's a heightened risk of something like this happening. Now, that's not to say that what happened is, you know, the con that what happened is uh, you put the culpability on the individual who was killed here. Clearly, that's not fair and that's not true. But if we're really going to analyze the situation, it, it would be helpful to have a campaign of please, everyone do not resist arrest from police officers. Fight it in court. Take it, you know, take it in court, take your take it in the court of public opinion as well as in the court of law. You know, there's there's always time to fight this stuff back at the station house. There's always time to to deal with this. But I mean, unless you really think that you've got a cop who's actually trying to, to kill you or, or harm you on purpose. Uh, and I mean, I've that does happen, but it's very rare. You know, you've got to allow law enforcement to do their jobs. And I just feel like. We're now going to we're having the, the cycle of the conversation again and the cycle of destruction that comes from this. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of dishonesty around it. You know, when the Minnesota governor says we need to get more training or more procedures. This is this is a muscle memory issue. This is she she just, you know, she meant to push on one door and she pushed on another door. I mean, she made a mistake and she's going to pay a price for it. She should get due process in this but as we know that itself now has become a problem when people are angry and when the narrative lines up in this way of a black victim and law enforcement lethal force incidents all of a sudden the rules come into question themselves the rules the procedures the protections that individuals have under our legal system and we're already seeing that uh, all employees working for the city of Brooklyn Center uh, are entitled to due process with respect to discipline. Uh, this employee will receive due process, and that's really all that I can say today. Do, do you support the determination of an officer like this who has made the type of mistake that has cost uh, a resident of yours life? Do you support determination of this type of officer and what message are we sending here in Brooklyn Center to the rest of the world about the valuation of black life do you support determination of this type of an officer you know I understand and appreciate the comment that you made and, and why you said it but if I were to answer that question I would be I'd be contradicting what I said a moment ago which is to say that all employees are are entitled to due process that city manager was fired for saying that that's right he's been he's been fired the city manager of of brooklyn center minnesota terminated from his job for saying that there is a there's an expectation here of due process for all city employees uh that's kurt Bo Boganey, and he's fired for stating a fact this is the country we live in now you understand this you can be fired you can suffer consequences 
for speaking the plain truth about something for which there can be no debate about whether what you said isn't true. It's just people don't like the truth. And then you you suffer the consequences. You say something that is true. You say the sky is blue and the mob says, I don't want to hear that. You're fired. That's what happened. Every city employee, I mean, it depends on where you are, but they all have some form of, of due process procedure uh, for somebody who does, a, you know, who has a situation like this on the job for law enforcement, for, for any public sector employee. There's there's usually a, a union agreement or there's some understanding and there's an investigation. Now, I understand that we have a video and it all seems very clear, but they do have to take statements and there is there is. There, a due process here and for people that are saying oh it doesn't matter get rid of it okay so when someone's accused of murder do we just skip the trial and just and just you know take them down to the hanging scaffold is that is that where we're going to go to as a society here or do we have trial by a jury do we have presumption of innocence you know i'm sorry i'm not willing to throw out fundamental judicial procedures fundamental issues of justice in our society through the system because people are angry. People are angry is not enough for us to abandon central, uh, central systematic protections of the individual here through the process. Yeah. Do I think this woman's going to lose her job? She's definitely going to lose her job, folks. And she should. And she might get criminally prosecuted. It depends on the specific statutes in the state of Minnesota. You know, I mean, she's not going to go to jail, most likely, I'd say, for a long time, but, you know, she might get a few years. Again, it varies, and I'm not a criminal defense attorney and certainly don't know the laws in the state of Minnesota specific to this. But, yeah, could she end up serving, you know, three, four, five years in prison for this? Yeah, that's, uh, that, sounds, that sounds plausible to me based on what ha- what's happened in other cases. And, you know, the, just the whole, the whole thing, though, we, we now are in a place where you can get in trouble for saying what is factually true. I mean, this would be like saying... If I stood up and said Derek Chauvin deserves the legal presumption of innocence in the courtroom through our system and someone said, you know what? Yeah, but I don't like you saying that about Chauvin. So, you know, you're fired. But I'm just stating a fact and the truth and something that's been agreed upon in our society for a very long time as well. But, oh, no, the whole system, the rules have to be thrown out the moment, the moment that they are inconvenient to the uh, leftist authoritarians there can be no protection there can be no process um, and they will undermine it you know they they talk so much about sacred institutions under the trump administration what could be a more sacred institution than trial by a jury of your peers the presumption of innocence due process now i know in this case they're talking about administrative process but that still exists for a reason too that that's also there so that people don't suffer unfair consequences that they have a right to make their side of the issue known you know no matter how awful somebody is and whether we're talking about a you know a, a mass murderer we still understand that they should have the presentation of the right to i mean a lot of the times i'll take a plea bargain but the presentation of a defense and the process still matters and look i think it's very likely you're going to see a firing you'll probably she might be fired by the time you even hear this i mean some of you listen to the show on on a delay or you listen to it on demand on the podcast so it's very likely that'll already have happened but you know she's getting some process right now here's the brooklyn center uh mayor who's saying they got to fire the officer you know we're uh right now uh assessing what we're going to do what actions we're going to take next you know in any other line of work if you uh kill someone uh, in any other line of work, uh, you are at the very least going to lose your job. And so uh, my position has been that, uh, you know, I, I do believe that the officer should be uh, fired. I, I do believe she should lose her job. Yeah, she's going to lose her job. And he is going to lose a lot more than that. Uh, this woman, this officer, look, for obviously tremendous sympathy and prayers out to Dante Wright's family and to his friends. It's an awful tragedy. This officer, though, her her life is also ruined. Uh, she's going to have to carry this the rest of her life. Her career is ruined. She is now always going to be remembered for this one incident. I think it's very clear that she had no intention of 
of shooting this young man. And it was a terrible, a terrible accident. And, you know, her family has to carry this burden now, too. I mean, the whole thing is an awful tragedy. And I just wish that as a country, we were more geared toward trying to show grace and respect to each other as we deal with things like this instead of breaking into stores and stealing cell phones and sneakers. But for those who choose to go out and, as Mayor Carter said, to exploit these tragedies for destruction or personal gain, you can rest assured that the largest police presence in Minnesota history and coordination will be prepared. You will be arrested. You will be charged. And there will be consequences for those actions. It's not debatable. You're not making the case. You're hurting the case. You're undermining the grief. And you hear it from families time and time again. Don't you dare step into our space where we're trying to enact change through our system. Minnesota governor actually sounding like he's upset about the rioting and the looting that's already gone on and and we'll see if he follows through on this but this is just as i always tell you about incentives incentives matter so much at the border do people get to come into the country if they show up at the u.s mexico border now and play the system do they get to stay if the answer is yes they're going to keep coming now let's look at incentives for looting and rioting do people who break into stores and steal stuff and cause mayhem and anarchy and attack cops throw rocks at them do they get away with it because they enjoy this? Obviously, they like doing this. They feel justified at some level in some way or they use this as a pretext. They don't really think it's justice, I'm sure, but they just pretend. Do they get away with it? If the answer is yes, they're going to keep doing it. So we need to understand that that's that is a part of all of this, right? Whether or not the law enforcement authorities and the people in charge here make those who break the law in some kind of make-believe solidarity with the Dante Wright uh, family, those people need to be punished because they're hurting people that had nothing to do with this officer Potter, had nothing to do with the situation, and they don't deserve that. That's unjust, as we all know. It's very obviously so. Well, while the Minnesota governor is saying that you will be charged and we'll see, there's there's been more. There was riots last night. They had a curfew. They've already called out the National Guard. They had more more riots, more looting going on. Where do you where do you think the mainstream media is in all of this? The corporate media, Democrat media, where do you think they are? Do you think they're trying to give a, a full context to this and, and just be professionals in the in the realm of journalism and, and tell people what the facts are and present this honestly? No, of course not. You know, that's not happening. This is how they this is how they justify their constant uh, left wing activism under the guise of journalism. This is an opportunity for them to push the racism storyline. Even though, is there any evidence of racism whatsoever in this incident? Uh, There's no evidence of racism. There's evidence of a terrible, a terrible mistake, an accident. An, a, an action that occurred that was not intended by the person doing the action. That's what we have evidence of. But it'll it still falls into this. You know, we're hearing even Biden, you know, oh, the, the grievances within the black community are so real. And we need to hear them and everything else. Well, th- this this is not a, a uh, you know, this is not a police brutality case. This is not a. Oh, my gosh, you know, they, they this this officer was kneeling on this person and should have gotten them help. Or this is very different from George Floyd. Using a taser in the circumstance would have been would have been justified. And remember, they keep pointing out that that Dante Wright had air fresheners in his rear window. I had never heard that that's illegal before. Apparently it is. It's kind of like tinted windows, which, by the way, the officer in New Mexico who was executed at close range with a rifle by a drug dealer. He pulled the guy over because of his tinted window. So this is a lot of this. And what they found out about Dante Wright is that he had an outstanding warrant for his arrest. So people who break little little laws are more likely to break big laws. This is central to broken windows theory, which is how you've had the tremendous drop off in crime in so many cities across the country, which, by the way, ended last year. And we had the highest murder rate in the United States in 20 years. Thanks, BLM movement. A lot, lot of good that did for people. But, you know, the activists, CNN and, and MSNBC and, you know, other news organization, you know, Vox.com and HuffPo and these places. Who reads HuffPo's total garbage? So it's Vox. These places, they have wealthy people 
or well-off people sitting in safety and comfort in safe neighborhoods, a lot of times not very diverse neighborhoods either, but they love to talk about diversity at these places, and they cheer on the rioting, the looting, and the the so-called BLM activist class as they make everything worse for everybody, which is what I've been saying all along. You know, if, if BLM was going around and they're saying we want police accountability and we also are going to make sure there are no riots, we're also going to, you know, if BLM activists are showing up saying, if you riot, you are destroying our cause. You are helping the you are helping the other side, whatever that means. You know, then I'd, I'd be more willing to have a conversation about this. But no, the BLM protests end up being cover for the riots that always come later. And then it's, oh, it was mostly peaceful, as we know. Makes everything worse for everybody. Police feel like they're undermined. Are so many of our of our uh, valiant law enforcement officers across the country feel like their jobs aren't they are made harder. And they don't have the political backing they need to make very difficult decisions in, in troubling situations. But, I mean, if you want an example of how, honestly, how disgusting our news media is and how it's just a political monolith. They all think the same stuff. They all push the same narrative. I know exactly where they're. It's like their brains are all wired in a certain way for stories like this. I know exactly where they're going to go. Yesterday, the Brooklyn Center Police Chief Gannon had an exchange. I mean, this was chilling. He had an exchange with uh, with a bunch of journalists at the press conference. This was the first major press conference the police held on the Dante Wright shooting. And here's I want you to listen closely because, you know, the audio from the journalist is not great. We'll discuss it. But listen in as this is the Brooklyn Center police chief being told by journalists that he did not see and experienced what he did. Play one. One final question. What was your decision to issue a dispersal order um, while they were peacefully protesting in front of the uh, police station? What what led to you to issue a dispersal order? And then on the back end of that 10 minute dispersal order, then to issue out uh, CO2 canisters and gas uh, for the crowd. So, you talk to us yeah, just so everybody's clear, I was front and, front and center at the protest at the at the riot. Um, we did not. There was so I was we were being the officers that were putting themselves in harm's way were being pelted with frozen cans of pop. They were being pel- pelted with concrete blocks. And yes, we had our helmets on and we had other protection gear, but an officer was injured, hit in the head with a brick. brick. That was a Hennepin County deputy. He was transported to the hospital. So we had to make decisions. We had to disperse the crowd because we can't allow our officers to be harmed. And I've already answered the question, I believe, about your lighting. I know that's a that's a big deal with you, and I understand that. But I thought I'd explain that myself. So that is, I told you it's my decision, and that's why I made that decision. You have journalists here telling the chief of police who was there and watching his fellow officers get pelted. And there's video of it. I've seen it. Okay, there's there's proof beyond any reasonable doubt. And he was there with his own eyes anyway. And he was actually present for this being hit with cinder blocks and rocks. And they like to take cans and freeze things in the can. So it's basically like a really a really uh, easy to throw projectile. And they're they're hitting officers with it. I mean, how many rocks would you allow to gash open your head at your job before you would take some kind of action to stop it. I'm just wondering, right? But notice the journalists, don't do that. Don't say that. There was no riot. Are they delusional or are they liars or both? Those are the only options. There was very obviously a riot. But you see, this is where we get to the greater truth beyond the actual truth. And this does have a very Soviet feeling, and it does increasingly seem like the mentality of some of the more extreme communist movements in history is is much more ascendant within our own Democrat Party and the American left than we'd like to believe that it doesn't matter what really happened. It matters what you can can convince people happened and how you can leverage that for the cause. Why do you think they run around talking about the insurrection on January 6th? It was not an insurrection. There was no violent effort to overtake and overthrow the United States government. There was a riot where some people became violent against law enforcement officers. BLM does that all the time. It was not an insurrection, but they used that term. 
And it's because of the power that it gives them to then attack their opponents and shut them down and set up fencing and set up thousands and thousands of National Guard all over Washington, D.C. And now here we are. There's another moment here. What is the what is the story? Think about this. What is the story the left wants to tell right now? What do journalists want people to see in Brooklyn Center? Racist white cop kills unarmed black man for no reason, because that's what cops do in this country. And the Republican Party is fine with it. And they cover it up. That's the storyline that they're pushing. It's a lie. But that's what they want people to think. And so they don't want any focus on the riots. Forget about the riot. Who cares? Let, Let people riot. That's that's the expression of their rage at the at the false narrative that's being told here. I mean, does any person really want to argue? Does any person actually want to expose themselves to open public debate about whether Officer Potter here wanted to kill? I mean, you think she she she's on she's got a body cam on. OK, it's all on video. She's got other officers there. It's broad daylight. She's yelling taser. I mean, it, it couldn't be more clear that this is an accident, actually. But still racism, still racism. I mean, we're getting to the point now where if a police officer, let's say, um, was driving home drunk off the job, even, and the police officer hit a bystander on, on, the, on a street corner and the bystander was was white or Asian, you know, oh, that's a drunk driving accident. The person should be held accountable. But if, if the police officer, it's a police officer on his or her own time driving the car drunk, hits a hits a person who is a black victim, it's still evidence of racism somehow. No intent to be racist, but it's evidence of racism. Uh, 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 you see the comparison? But they, they, run with the, they run with the narrative anyway. And it's so damaging, and it's going to result in more misery and more destruction and the further degradation of community police relations in Minnesota and, and all across the country. And you know what a lot of people are going to think when they when they hear the media say there's no riots and they push this narrative of racism, which is behind all of this always is, well, I can't trust the cops. The cops are bad and maybe I should fight back against them when I'm arrested, which is a very unwise, very bad idea and leads to leads to more uh, unnecessary uh, force escalation situations that don't have to happen and is also going to lead to more tragedies. But the media cannot be trusted to speak honestly about this at all. They will not. And remember, this is all happening with the Chauvin trial in the background. In fact, in this case, the Chauvin trial just miles away. A quick a quick drive from Brooklyn Center is the Derek Chauvin trial, which is happening under the pretty explicit threat of mob violence. If the outcome is not what the mob demands. It's a very bad time for uh, justice in this country. And we are we are losing our faith in these systems and institutions. uh, And the people that are pushing the hardest on them are the most reckless in their rhetoric and and the most damaging, I think, in their aims.